know you've been standing, but let me ask you just to remain standing a bit longer. I want to read to you two large or long passages of Scripture. We start in Psalms. We read Psalm 29. We read through Psalm 29. Just remain standing. And then we're going to turn and read a passage out of the book of Revelation. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Your translation in, in your own translation may be sons of God or sons of men. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty or the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf. And Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kedesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. He sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. Amen. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Amen. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. This is the Apostle John. First three chapters about those seven churches and all what's needing to be fixed in their worship. And he addresses all of those problems in the first three chapters. And then he jumps, he jumps to the end of all time. And says, this is what worship really looks like. I looked and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this? At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood with uh, stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones. Think about the twelve tribes. Old Testament Israel and the twelve apostles in the New Testament. And seated on these thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God. 
And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, like the four seasons, for the four dimensions of north and south and east and west. These four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, seeing everything. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like the face with the face of a man, and the fourth like an eagle in flight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, Whenever the living creatures give praise to God, verse 10 says, Then the twenty-four elders fall down before him who was seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, and him who sits on the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. Let's bow before this king. Lord, these two are only two of many, 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 many scenes throughout the scriptures of angels worshiping you people worshiping you and even those who mocked you and cursed you and said you didn't exist after a profound encounter by you they fell on their first faces and worshipped you as well. So I'm asking this morning that you would speak to our hearts in such a way we would get a deeper, better, fuller, more biblical concept of worship, not just an American 21st century understanding of worship. That our worship has very little, if anything at all, to do with us. It has everything to do with you. Help us by our spirits engaging our minds even our emotions but God deepen our spirit would you by your Holy Spirit speak to us about the significance the meaning the value the beauty of true worship God bless in your name we ask Amen Amen So we're working through biblical disciplines, and we've come to worship. And we all bring preconceived ideas and notions and definitions to what we think worship is. 
And then it goes beyond our own imaginations and concept of worship. It moves into our preference about worship. And we all probably don't have, in fact I'm certain, we don't have exactly the same sense or preference or concept and definition of what worship is or what it should be. Some think worship is always, always, always celebratory, uh, uplifting, encouraging, happy, joyful, and 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 you leave energized and and motivated. And I'm saying, yes, that is definitely worship. But if that's your preference and, and that's that's what you hope for and long for and, and love to experience. You might need to broaden your concept and your thinking here that worship can also be, if not grieving, although I think the word fits, it's at least putting my face in such a, a, a posture or at least an emotion that says, God, I'm, I'm surprised you don't just strike me dead on any moment. Yeah. That too is worship. And there are times that my soul finds itself, oh God, how do you put up with me? Yeah. And other times it's just smiling in my soul and on my face like never before. And everything in between these two extreme illustrations. Worship can be singing at the loudest expression we know and lifting our hands and worship can be sitting still in silence and sobbing with tears or just in a calm sense of smile that God really is good all the time. Amen. Worship is broad in its expression and in its purpose its effect upon us. Our emotions are engaged, but it's not purely an emotional exercise. Our minds are engaged, but it's not purely an intellectual experience. Worship is that full embodied mind, soul, spirit, every part of me, <coughs> intellectual, emotional, social, that I'm in the presence of God. And I don't want to ever leave this place. This moment is so satisfying and sweet. Oh, may it last forever. And heaven will be that moment. But the moment will be for eternity. And we will worship like we have never worshipped before. I gave you these scenes that we read, one in the Old Testament, one clearly at the very end, kind of a bridge into the beginning of eternity, of what worship would look like. And all I want to do now, it's such a broad subject, and, and we think, well, worship is three songs and a sermon, and, and then we get to visit with one another. <laughs> worship has nothing to do with us. Only in the sense that we're responding to God. 
So all I want to do with you this morning is just run through some passages. I've got three from the Old Testament. I'll show you two from the New Testament. We'll look at these five distinct passages, and, and, and we'll really close with, with what, what's happening in the Gospel of John. Then we'll get a, a final word about probably instruction and more definition, perhaps. We'll finish with that one in, in uh, Timothy. But we'll get a lot of information from what Jesus is saying to the woman at the well in the Gospel of John. Before we look to those last two New Testament references, start with me in the Old Testament. Let's start at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And we are at this point. Um, we might be further along than you think. You read the scriptures, you think, Genesis chapter 4, well, that's like week 2. Well, it's probably, it has to be more than week two of, of, of existence. Adam and Eve have two, I think I want to say grown sons, but they're not infants. They have two children, both of those sons, and these boys are not infants. They're not toddlers. They're, we would call them teenagers. Are they 20 years old? So we're a few decades, we're a, quite a few years into existence. And this is the scene that's painted for us in Genesis chapter 4. Adam knew his wife, she conceived and poor Cain, and she said, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. The word Cain in Hebrew sounds like a, a it, it's, it's similar, you can rhyme it with the Hebrew word for gotten. So, uh, God a man from the Lord. Let's name him. It would sound like gotten. See the connection? And again, she bore his brother, Abel. He's a keeper of the sheep. Cain's a worker of the ground. So one dealing with animals, one's dealing with crops. They've made their vocational choice. In the course of time, they're going to worship Cain, brought to the Lord, an offering of the fruit of the ground, because he works the crops. Makes sense, doesn't it? Verse 4 says, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, and the portions of that flock. The Lord had regard for Abel, who brought an animal. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain, what's this about? He brings his animals, I bring my crops. We both love God, we worship how our conscience would compel us to worship. What's wrong with this? And the classic illustration, the very beginning of, of, of human existence, I know they're grown or, or virtually grown boys, but you, right away you see this problem with the way we think worship should be. It should make sense to us. I get to do it my way. I like to worship this way, and I bring what I bring because it speaks to me about who I am and how I love God. Or whatever other explanation they were thinking. 
Prince Andrew, his face dropped. I mean, his face didn't fall off. <laughs> we know how that phrase, what that means. It, oh, no, 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 something not, this ain't right here. And the Lord didn't say, oh, you know what, Cain, you're right, I, you know, forgive me. The Lord says to Cain, what's with the attitude? Right. My translation. <laughs> what are you getting angry about? Do you not remember, Cain, that when your mother and father sinned, and they tried to deal with their sin in their own logical way by sewing fig leaves together and covering themselves. And I rejected those fig leaves. And do you remember? Do you remember, Cain? Don't you remember what your mother and father taught you? That when I rejected the fig leaves, I provided for them. I provided for them a way of cleansing and covering themselves that they could come to me and worship. I killed an animal. Because blood is required. For forgiveness. Blood is required in worship. You either bring your own sacrifice or you cling to the sacrifice that I give you in the New Testament. It's Jesus. Have you forgot this, Cain? Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Why do you give me attitude? Look at me sideways. Oh man. And then he finishes the illustration, verse 7. Think this through in your life. Look, son, Cain, think you can dictate how you approach me. I made you. That's right. If you do well, won't it be accepted? I'm not asking you to reinvent the wheel. I've told you exactly what will work. And you're bringing me something that won't work. Not because I'm... I'm Capricious, not because I'm, I'm moody, not because well, the word yesterday does not work today, and deal with it because after all, I'm gone. Doesn't throw his weight around to us like that. From the very beginning in Genesis to the very end in Revelation, God has made it clear: you bring a blood sacrifice, but your sacrifices are only pictures of the sacrifice that I provide. <coughs> bring a sheep, bring a turtle dove, bring a quail. Blood has to be shed. And I'll provide the ultimate sinless. These are pictures of the sacrifice. The ultimate is a sinless sacrifice. My own son. God in the flesh. If you do well, if you do well, your worship will be accepted. If you do not, the reason you're not doing well is because sin is crouching at the door. What a poetic phrase. Satan, we can leap on you, boy. Do you not understand that all of our attempts to do it our way is Satan waiting to leap on us? Crouching at the door? And its desire, sin's desire, Satan's desire is to get you thinking like he thinks. How can I do it my way? I went to that church. I don't like the way they was. I'm going to that church. And you'll bounce around until you find someone that or just appoint yourself to be the pastor and do it happy to be well. 
Right. How about that? Right. Sin is crouching at the door. If you do, you'll be accepted. If not, sin will jump on you. Yeah. Yeah. Its desire is for you to get you, to control you, to pull you away from God. Yeah. So he can say, hey, hey, stay here. I love me more than you. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. I love that last line. How am I possibly going to rule over my own ambition and, and self-indulgence? Because I like to have my way. That's my wife and kids. I like to have my way. And so do you. Right. Sin is always crouching. In church, at home, on the job, when I'm driving, sin is always crouching. But if you do well, you'll be accepted. You've got to learn to rule over this desire to ignore God's schedule and system and, and provision of doing well. We said, no, I'll pick my own. This is as old as the first family. This, this is as old as the first family. Now, not to leave you hanging, there's a little, there's a little New Testament reference and, and it kind of settles the question for us in Hebrews. Look at Hebrews. Let me get this. By faith, Abel. By the two boys we just looked at. By faith, Abel, he offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And because of that, through which, he was commended as righteous. That, that, good job there, Cain. I mean, a good, good job there, Abel. Good job. Because you understand the principle of, of blood sacrifice. He was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith. I love that phrase. It is, and through his self-sufficiency, through his self-righteousness, through his kissing up to me more than his stupid brother. No, through his faith. God said, do it this way. Well, how come? Well, God said, do it this way. Through his faith. God said, this will work. God said, this will, this will be accepted. God said this will be sufficient through his faith. Even though he died, he's still teaching us how to worship. He's still talking to us. This is the first family, second generation of the very first family. They've been dead a long time. And here I am reasoning with you on how to worship from a lesson we get from that far ago. That far ago. <laughs> Still speaking to us. Sin is crouching. We better trust God, do it His way. His ways work. Haven't we figured that out by now? Yeah. Here's another one Deuteronomy chapter 10. So we're skipping oh, at least at least a couple thousand years now. We're, we're going to Moses. This is after the Exodus. So we're skipping a, a big chunk of time. We're still in the Old Testament. And, and we would think, oh, we're, this, this happened like 
you know, six months later. This is this is hundreds of years. It's at least two thousand, might be closer to three. It's at least two thousand, depending. And there's sixteen different, you know, people who have appointed some experts on how to measure dates and times in the scriptures. We're at least two thousand. I think we're closer to three thousand years later. Deuteronomy chapter ten and verse twelve. And so now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Isn't that anyone's question? What do I have to do to get into heaven? What do I have to do to get rid of my guilt? What do I have to do to get a clear conscience before God? You can phrase it in dozens of different ways, but in essence we all have the same question. Everyone's looking for a clear conscience. Everyone's looking for, for what will make me acceptable to God. Or it's the same question, we can come at it from a totally different direction. The, the other direction says, uh, how much sin can I get away with but still go to heaven? So, so whether you're looking at it from, I want to be righteous, how do I get righteous? Or I don't want to let go of my sinful practices, how much can I hold on to? Everyone's got the same question. What's required? How many hoops do I have to jump through? What does the Lord require? Here's the answer. Fear God. Walk in His way. Love Him. Serve the Lord. Now the word fear is, oh my God, you're going to hit me. Oh my God, you're going to hit me. To fear God is, is to reverence God. Oh, God's in charge. He made the world. He made me. Right. He sent his son to pay my debt. Yeah, I acknowledge him. Yeah, I bow before him. Yeah, I, I listen to what he has to say. Because after all, he is God. And, and not just by virtue of, of, of power and position, but by virtue of relationship. That he's revealed himself to me. And he sent his Holy Spirit to explain this, this, this book that overwhelms us and sometimes confuses us. And, and the more I walk with God, the more it begins to make sense and I understand it. He's doing all this to me, for me, in me. This God, this God is easy to love. What does God require? To acknowledge, to recognize, to, to live in the awareness that He is God and I am not. So watch your mouth, boy. Check yourself. Get him with God here. Fear the Lord. Walk in His ways. Love Him. Serve Him with all your heart, with all your soul. Keep the commandments, statutes, which I am commanding you today. Don't you love how this ends? For your good. Uh, can I just spend... Uh, uh, I could give you too many illustrations of how stubborn and independent and rebellious I can be because I don't like nobody telling me what to do. Does that sound familiar to your own life and heart and soul? And when you look at the wake of broken relationships that you leave behind you moving on through life, can you find some honest moments where you realize, you know what, all that mess is largely my responsibility? Because I said it's my way or the highway and some folks took the highway. Right. I'm commanding you to live this way 
for your good. Not just heaven when you die, by and by. No, no, right now. Your marriage would be better right now if you could learn to live this way. Your sense of internal just peace with yourself would be a whole lot better. It, it would be for your good if, if we could learn to live our lives this way. Now, I'm not bringing this offering to God because, well, God said, and you have to appease him or he's going to hit you. Oh my goodness, you don't know anything about God if that's what you want. God so loved the world. This is for your good. When this concept became clear to me, I quit fighting with God. Because I spent a song of 17, almost 18 years of my life really fighting with God. I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. I'm going to church. I ain't doing that. And when I quit fighting, I went, oh, I love this life. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I love this life. This is what the Lord requires. It's not an hour on Sunday, sing these songs, try to stay awake, go home. That's not worship. That's attendance. Worship is connecting with God. Not just on Sundays. On Thursdays and Tuesdays. Four in the morning, three in the afternoon. To be aware of his awesome reach and limitless power in every dimension and expression. To walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him with all of my being. The more I, I can move in that direction, the gooder my life becomes. That's for my good. I live like this, everything's better in the house. I live like this, everything's better at church. I live like this, everything's better with my neighbors. I'm not exaggerating, that's not just pastor talk. This is the true confession of a person who knows that the closer I walk with God, it is very good, and the more I drift to start doing what I think I should be doing, like Cain, all of a sudden there's conflict. Your translation from some of these verses may say it's, it's, it's not just the circumcision of the skin, which was an Old Testament ceremony to say we're unique. We're not like the rest of the world. We're separate from the world, and this is our mark of distinction. Not that anyone else can see it. But we do this to say that we're cutting off the sin we inherited from our ancient ancestor, Adam and Eve. That in the process of reproduction, we've all inherited Adam's sin. But circumcision is saying, no, no, I'm free from that sin. And as a reminder, a memorial, a picture, not a reality, but as a reminder, a picture 
uh, uh, just a statement. No, I'm, I'm free from, from that inherited sin that I got from my ancient ancestor. They would practice circumcision. But in this passage, some of the other translations say you need not just a circumcision of the flesh, you need a circumcision of the heart. That sin has been cut away from my soul, my heart. Sin has been cut away. I'm not, I'm not bound by that anymore. Walking with Christ, I'm now free. I'm free from that to be what he's called me to be, godly and holy. And reverent, not irreverent. And we've all spent way too much of our lives being irreverent. I just don't mean taking the words in the lane. I mean my whole life being irreverent. What I want, I'll answer nobody. Well, that's classic irreverence. That's a life of worship. Let me give you one more from the Old Testament. Micah, the book of Micah. He's asking the same question. This is everybody's question. Everybody has the same question. It comes in different course languages. It comes in different expressions. They, people use different illustrations and vocabulary, but boil it down to its most essential element. Everybody has the same question. But what shall I come before the Lord? Bow myself before God on high? Is that what I have to do? Is, is, is that what he wants? Shall I come before the burnt offerings? Or over about a calf a year old? Well, the Lord be pleased with thousands of rivers. One calf or thousands? Well, ten thousands of rivers of oil. How about, should I give my firstborn for the transgression of my soul? The fruit of my body for the sin of my... Is that what I have to do? Now, these are all references to, to vague experiences. Do, do, I, do I have to do... When Abraham offered Isaac, do I have to do that? Do I have to be circumcised? Do, do I have to bring a calf? Do I have to bring ten calves? <laughs> do, do I have to bring ten thousand gallons of oil? What do I have to do? Tell me what I have to do, I'll do it. People say that all the time. Go to church. At least three Sundays a month. At least three Sundays. <laughs> and give. I don't just mean twenty bucks. You got time. Ten percent. You gotta do it. And, and so we come up with a religion of works. I do this, I do this, I do this, or this, or this. I'm better than most. Leave me alone now. I punch my ticket. I can live my life. Not worry about hell. And so we create a, a, a system. You had to get baptized. Well, they baptized that way. We baptized. Well, who cares how? I, okay, I'll do it. And this is how we think, and this is how we behave. Why do I have to do? How many hoops you want me to jump through? And finally comes the answer. Look at the answer. This is beautiful. He has told your name what is good. We, we just saw the passage. We, we just saw the passage. Because this is what is good for your soul. All of this, he said, it, do this for your own good. He says the same thing to Mike. He told your name what is good. What the Lord requires of you. Here it is. You know it's not in any of these, in the, in the last half of that verse 8, that sentence, the word baptism, the word prayer, 
church attendance? You find any of those heavy words? Any of those tent to box? Better show up. You've got to do it. Don't be a sinner. And I say that. Here's the same. Here's what really requires. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. But I'm telling you, I can't do that without prayer and scripture and the mercy of God and repentance and faith. I, I can't I can't do that. I, I can't do that. But this is the essence of worship. This is the essence of a life well lived. This is the essence of what God expects. In fact, it's, it's a clear, direct statement. What does the Lord require? This, 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 this. All the rhetoricals. All of the possibilities. All the human assumptions. And the answer, no, no, it's none of that. It's this. But you can't achieve this with human effort. That's right. <coughs> to do justice. I don't know if you get the reference. It turns out Spike Lee was right. Do the right thing. <laughs> Just do the right thing. Yeah. Now he's talking culturally. I'm saying culturally and biblically, spiritually, relationally. Do the right thing. Yeah. To love, not superiority. To love, I outmaneuvered them. I snookered them. I got over on them. No, no. What I love is mercy. Kindness, generosity, other centeredness, yeah. not self centeredness. Yeah. To do the right thing. To love gentleness, mercy, kindness, compassion. Not roughshod, who cares, you're in my way, I'm going to blow you off so I can have a better life for me and my kids. And I think when people say that, I don't think you really care that much about your kids. I think you're talking about yourself. Do what is right. Love. Generosity. Kindness. Mercy. Compassion. And then don't brag about it. Walk humbly with God. Stop trying to tell the world how wonderful you are. Aren't you just amazed and... and that doesn't make you pause and think and Jesus heals someone and he'll say, no, don't go be telling everybody about this. Remember those phrases? It's not every time there's a healing, every time there's something miraculous, or every time he says something unbelievably profound, as if he ever said anything that wasn't unbelievably profound. He'll say, don't, don't, don't be running around making a big deal of this. Why would Jesus say that? Because the, the, the draw is, is not in the, the manifestation of, of, of something tactile that we can see and touch and hear and feel. No, the, the transformation is, oh my goodness, I was blind and now I can see. Yeah. I was clueless and now I understand. Jesus is walking humbly. Who, who has more juice? Who has more power? Who has more authority than Jesus? He has all the authority of the Father. And yet, he's walking very humbly. You know what worship is? It's 
doing the right thing when you're in church. You think worship is just an hour a week? Well, Pastor Dave, it's going to be at least an hour. <laughs> you think worship is just an hour a week? Worship is my life. Amen. Worship is emptying the dishwasher for corn. I hate him. <laughs> in fact, there's not, I can't think of any one thing in the kitchen that I actually enjoy <laughs> other than eating. I love eating in the kitchen. I want to do nothing. Or the garage. Or I don't want to do anything. <laughs> you know why? I know we're laughing. Because I'm a sinner. Because I'm a sinner. And my default is to be self-centered. And so is yours. We're just like Cain. And sin is crouching. Worship is like, no, I've been changed. I've been transformed. The old Dave is gone. And Christ has made me new. And and deep in my soul, somewhere, Dave really wants to live this life. Dave wants to do the right thing. Dave wants to love mercy and gentleness and kindness and other sentiments. And Dave wants to stop bragging about how wonderful he is because he knows he ain't. I really, if I'm... if you're born again, that's what we want. But the flesh, just like Cain is like, hey, man. Hey, Worship is not what happens on Sunday morning. Worship is 24 7. That's right. That's right. Living with this, not just philosophy, but behavioral. We'll get to the word behavior in just a moment. This is worship. This is what's being called here. Catch these three phrases in verse 8. Get your own language. I'm giving you mine. Get your own language so you can talk to yourself and preach to yourself. This isn't a memory verse. Probably we should have made it today. If you really want to get serious, add it to today's memory verse. Get your three phrases. How do you how do you talk to yourself to do justice? I say to myself, Dave, you got to do the right thing. Do the right thing. You get your phrase. Through love, kindness, mercy, gentleness, get your phrase to walk humbly with God. That's worship. That's worship. In the New Testament, John chapter 4, it's a familiar passage. It's the woman that the Samaritan, Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. We break in at verse 19, but here's what happens in verse 18. So they're talking about all kinds of stuff. And this, the conversation is jumping not littered all over the place, but they're covering four or five different issues and, and Jesus is trying to pull back here and she keeps the one over here. And and for one last time, for one last time, there's there's this there's this Jesus is intentionally saying, that's verse nineteen. And verse eighteen, Jesus, okay, 
man, uh, lady, sister, dear, I, I don't know what he would have referred to her as. He said, uh, I would like to meet your husband. Go get your husband. Now, Jesus knew exactly what her domestic situation was. He says, I'd like to meet her. Go get your husband. And she says, well, I've had five husbands. She said, uh, I don't have a husband. I don't have a husband. And he said, yes, that's true. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with right now, you're not legally married to. We should all love that truth in verse 18. Because, well, if she can be forgiven, then I can be forgiven. The Apostle Paul said, I, I think he's talking about himself. He says, I really do think my theory is that the only reason God saved me is to prove that the rest of the world can say me and say anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And Paul really thought that about himself. And here's a similar kind of illustration. She said, I, 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 I've, got, I've had five husbands. I'm not married to the man I'm with right now. And she said, you're right. I knew that all about you. You're telling the truth. Bless you for that. So then he makes the application. I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you knew all of that? You knew all of that? Yeah, I guess you are a prophet. But notice, as much as that exchange has happened, I should have showed you verse 18, then his statement, verse 19. She runs right back to, well, you know, you do what you do and we do what we do. And she runs behind this cultural cover that, well, I'm Samaritan, we worship this way. And you're Hebrew, and you guys worship your way, so but we all go to heaven when we die, right? Because all dogs go to heaven. She says in verse 20, our fathers worship on this mountain. But you say, in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus cuts her off again and says in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. <laughs> worship is not defined by geography or, or origins of, well, our guy said this. And you and your guy say that. Because everyone's got a story. Jesus has a story. I am God in the flesh. And they said, well, that's blasphemy and you're crazy. And they killed him. Thinking they would get rid of this heretic. Only to realize we did what he came to do. To die for us. We helped him accomplish his goal. We told him we didn't rid of him. We accelerated the process. Jesus has a story. The difference between his story and every other story is his story is irrefutably true. Now people still try to refute it because I don't want to live that way. I'm stuck on being Cain. I want to worship the way I want to worship. There ain't nobody tell me I can't. Okay. I'm not going to tell you you can't. Go ahead. It's not God's way, but go ahead. I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm not a hater. I'm, I'm not what, whatever the, the phrase has changed from generation to generation. What, what, whatever 
people want to call me in, in the 21st century, call me, call me. I don't hate you, I'm not against you, I'm trying to love you, but there's certain things that are right, there's certain things that are wrong, and they're not going to change. Our fathers did it this way. You guys say it's that way. Come see, come see. <laughs> Jesus says, 21, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And he's moving to talk about accountability, judgment. Now watch. 22. You worship what you do not know. You've heard a story. Samaritans had a story. The Samaritans became Samaritans because first it's a, it's a geographical term. It's northern Israel up around the area of Samaria. It's kind of logical. But this, this we're Hebrew, but I'm really Hebrew. is because way back in the Old Testament, when Nebuchadnezzar came and conquered the Israelites, tore down the temple, dragged them off to Assyria and made them to Babylon, and, and, and then the Assyrians kind of inherited them when the Assyrians had conquered the Babylonians. When all that happened, those ten northern tribes, they pretty much lost their identity. There's intermarriage with, with, with all kinds of people and they've abandoned Hebrew worship and, and they develop a whole new identity, a whole new culture, a whole new approach to life in every aspect, theologically, philosophically, which comes to this conclusion by the time Jesus is on the earth, you, you guys have lost your sense of identity and your origin. You've, you've abandoned your connection not only to Moses, to Abraham. You've abandoned your connection to God. And you've got this new culture. You've got this new tradition. You've got this new system. You're not, you, you worship what you're, you're not familiar with. We worship what we know. He's not being arrogant. The third phrase makes it more clear. Salvation is from the Jews. That's a, you might think that's harsh. The truth of salvation, the, the explanation of redemption, it came through the Hebrew community. Abraham's talking about faith long before Jesus on the earth. Abraham was circumcised. Abraham lived by the rule of, of the Ten Commandments. But Abraham understood faith. He offers his son Isaac. In faith that Jesus, that God is going to raise him from the dead. Ten Commandments had nothing to do with that. Abraham knew faith. That's what Jesus is saying. Salvation came through this, this tool of revealing we live by faith. We don't live by works. But here's the problem, ma'am, the Samaritan woman, to us. The hour is coming and is now here. The hour began with the life of Jesus. This is the memory verse. 23 and 24. Memory verse says, 2. 
Choose your intuition. This week. Next Sunday you'll all quote it perfectly. <laughs> the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers, true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Emotion. Emotion. Fact. Inspiration. Information. Spirit and truth. My spirit is engaged. I laugh. I cry. I weep. I shout. I clap. I sit in silence. Spirit. Truth. God has said. God has said. God has said. We worship in spirit and in truth. And the Father is seeking such people who will worship Him now. We laugh, we cry, we grieve, but there's that, that, that sigh, that exhale of relief that my spirit will forget. Spirit. I smile, and sometimes when I'm smiling, tears are flowing, and sometimes I'm not smiling at all, and more tears are flowing. Spirit. He moves my spirit. His spirit bears witness of my spirit and reassures me that you belong to God. Spirit is crouching at the door, but you did the right thing this time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The hour is coming is now. Here. True worshipers will worship the Father. If there's such a thing as a true worshiper, then of course there has to be a what? A false worship. I'm not talking about some other group somewhere else. I'm talking to us this morning. Have I ever been a false worshiper? Have you ever been a false worshiper? True worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father seeking. I love that verse in the Old Testament. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro to the Lord. He's looking for people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Cain was not. Oh, you get them mixed up. Abel was worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Why should we worship him that way? Because of verse 24, God himself is spirit. And if you want to worship him, you've got to come to him on the spiritual level. But according to truth. Look, I'm not trying to start a fight and, 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 and make a mess or be funny. It's just, let's just, he's just an illustration and I, I'm a male. My wife's female. And sometimes when we're talking, I'm thinking, what does she, what is she saying? What does she mean? And you know what's happening? And she's saying, is he completely an idiot? <laughs> we're laughing, but we all know this is the truth. We don't fully get each other. Now, when we have interest and agenda, we know how to get what we want, whatever it is that you're trying to get. But to understand, to comprehend, to be always in harmony, 
you're going to have to develop a whole bunch of sensory insight, spiritual comprehension. And I don't mean spiritual chapter and verse. I mean my spirit, your spirit. Because my mouth is saying this, but my spirit really means you'll say to your spouse, man, the wife, wife, the husband, hey, why, why don't we go here? And, and they'll say, okay, but let's do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And, and the other one will say, well, I want to go there, but I don't want to do that, 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 that. Well, that's what they do there, I know, but I don't want to do that. Well, you just said you want to go there. Yeah, I do want to go there, but I don't want to do that. Well, why are we going there if you're not going to do that? That's what they do there. <laughs> because what's really being said is, I don't care about what they do there. But there's this place. There's this scenery. There's this, this hotel. There's this restaurant. There's this boat show. There's something there that I don't care about anything else that goes on there. I know they do that there. I don't care about that. But there is, in that place, there's this. And I want to go there just for that. Oh, why did you say that? <laughs> I did say that. I said I want to go there. No, that's not what you say. And here we go again. Does this happen in your house? Now, take that to the vertical relationship with the living God. And you think God is, 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 is boxing you in. I can't move. I've never been more afraid. Then when I discovered freedom in Christ. Yeah. I've never been more free. But his freedom is, isn't just, yeah, go for it, do what you want, I don't care. His, his freedom is, I'm going to enable you to understand my heart. That spirit. And the more I understand the spirit of my wife's heart, and the more she understands the spirit of my, my what drives me, what are my motivations I know what I'm saying with my words, but, but what is my heart saying with its ambition or with its fears? That's what it is to worship Him in spirit. Sometimes I read a verse and, and it sounds like salvation came from the Jews. That makes us superior. God's not saying that. What was the spirit happening in that? And I showed you the passage. No, salvation is of the Jews in the sense that it was revealed through them first. Are they superior? Well, you read the book of Romans, and the Apostle Paul says they are absolutely not superior. They have been preferred. It's a blessing that God used them to open the gospel to us, but the gospel has come to us. And the irony of it is, they killed Jesus. It's understanding all of this. It's listening to his spirit as well as his words. It's catching his heart. Oh, baby, that's what you meant. And then we're all smiling. Everyone's happy. God is spirit. You think you're going to buy your way to heaven? Calling him a few hours of church attendance and a couple of dollars? We worship in spirit 
and then true. This is the memory verse this week, 23 and 24. And that hour is on us now. The hour is coming and it's now. It started with Jesus. It started with Jesus. He's looking for people who will worship him like this. I want to be those people. I want us to be those people. Let's finish up First Timothy chapter 3. So this is language that most of us understand. So I'll finish with this one. Oh, he finally said something I understand. <laughs> Paul says to Timothy, look son, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that I'm trying to get there bodily, face to face. I love you son. This is, this is his emotional son. He's been discipling young Timothy, training him for pastoral life, and he says, I'm trying to get there before I die. And, and I'm pretty sure I'll make it, but, but if I don't, turns out he didn't, by the way. I'm trying to get there, but, but if I don't get there, you'll know. I hope to see you soon, but I'm writing these things ahead of time so that if I debate, you may know, here it comes, how you ought to behave in the household of God. Now, it, it's phrased different, but it's still the same question. What do I have to do? What does God want out of me? What, what hoops do I have to jump through? Give me a give me a list of things and I'll check the box and I make each one. What do I have to do? I'm writing this stuff so you'll know how you ought to behave in the household of God. But my, my frustration here with this particular verse, and I want to make it explicitly clear to you, he's not talking about this building. Remember when you were a little kid, or at least for me, my mom was not arrogant in any area of life, but she did kind of enjoy having a college ring. Which one of her family never go to college. She had a really small but really nice ring with a little stone. Central Baptist College, where I went and dropped out. And I'm sitting down the pew, and my older brother, we're like six years, almost seven years apart, so he's back with the teenagers, chewing gum and writing notes, whatever they're doing, and, but I get to sit by my mom. And, and I'm sitting here with my mom, and, and I'm squirming, and I'm saying, come on, Dad, come on, Dad. And I, you know, I'm, 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 uh, we think it's cute when a little, you know, 18-month-old is crying in the pew. Well, they ain't cute when a 16-year-old is crying. <laughs> I wasn't 16. So I get a little goofy and squirmy, and, and I'm tapping and tapping and kicking, and you know, and she'd spin her ring around and just indiscriminately just pop from the back of my head. <laughs> and then she would say, You can't behave like that in church. Which said to me, okay, when I get out of here, then I can behave like this somewhere else. I just can't do it in here. Which is a total wrong interpretation of all that was happening there. You, you get the point. Don't think that this verse is saying, we just got to clean up the church. In a wake mirror, I can be as self-centered as I want to be. No. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. That's what we do. That's worship. Yeah. Amen. That's worship. 
So the household of God, the phrase means not doesn't mean this building. It's it's actually the Greek word would be oikos, which is we would say your network, your extended family. Who do you meet for dinner? Who are you related to? Who do you hang out with? When it's three o'clock in the morning and, and, and you need someone to talk to, who do you call? Who do you invite for Thanksgiving? And I don't talk about token people. I, I mean, no, these people are in our circle. This is my house. Not this house, but my emotional family house. These are the people who are in my life. And I love that these people are in my house, in my family, in my network, my oikos. Who do you sit with at work? And you're building a relationship. Oikos. Family. House. That's the word. It's not this building. I'm telling you this so you'll know how to behave like a Christian in your culture. Especially with the people that are in your tightest circle. In your household. I ought to be. The church, and the word church is not, I go to church on Little Gloucester Road. That's the building. No, we're the church. People are the church. In the New Testament, there were hardly any buildings. That came way later. Way later. In in, in the scriptures, there was no buildings. They met people's homes. The church met in someone's house. Church is not the building. The church is the people. This is how we behave in the household, in the church of the living God. And it's the church, it's this network, it's these people that are the pillar. You know what the pillar is? It's it's the it's the it's the wall. It's it's the it's the pillar. It's 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 the support. It's the foundation, but it's the walls, the pillar and the buttress. It's all the weight of the roof is hanging on these four exterior walls. You knock these walls down, the roof will fall on you. Because this is the pillar. This is the buttress of the roof. (laughs) Worship. Worship. All of the verses we've looked at, concluding with this one. Paul said, Timothy, I'm writing you so you'll know how to function. You'll know how to live. You'll know how to behave. You'll know how... This is what worship looks like, son. And where do we learn this? In the church. It's in the church that we get the support. We get the explanation. We get the understanding. Oh, that's what worship is. It's not something that I do. It's the way I live. It's not one way that I live for an hour on Sunday. It is the way that I live my life. 24-7. Worst days, easiest days. My life is worship. It's the passage from Micah. Do what's right. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Anything short of that. You offer your own effort. Sin, we're back to the first reference, is crouching at the door and Satan's going to jump on you. Slam the door shut on him. Let your life be worshipped. 
when your life becomes worship, then Carmen and I don't fight nearly as much because I'm listening to her heart. That I can even forgive intentional offenses. I can. Because that power is now in me. And it would be an act of worship to forgive right now. So, okay, let's forgive. It would be an act of worship to hold my tongue right now. It would be an act of worship to speak, but to speak calmly, not with, you got some nerve coming at me like that! That's not worship, is it? Worship is not what we do on Sundays. God help us to make worship our life. And God is looking for people since he came to the earth that hour began and now is he's looking for such who will worship him like that in spirit and in truth stand with me listen